What's up, Dune fans? Welcome back to the Do Not Enter podcast, where today the Baron loses his rights to spice. I'm your host, Humphrey Shute, and joining me are my friends and co-hosts, Fillmore John. What's up, guys? And Nolan Zhang. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back, everyone. And today we will be covering the first half of chapter 47 of Dune. So this is the second to last chapter. Um, So... I mean, I think I mentioned this every episode, but I can't be more excited. We're just heading straight towards the end here, straight towards the finish line. Yeah, so, um, but we're also heading towards the finish line this school year. So anything uh, y'all want to update us on? Anything exciting? So I was at my job place yesterday and then... this kid was trying to like make your mom jokes, right? And then, huh. and then in the middle of the lesson, I said something like, "Your mom turns like down the thermostat, or like your mom wants you to like do something, right?" And then he was like, "Oh!" And he's like, "You said your mom," and I was just like, "That's not what I meant." And then he, and he's like, "I'm gonna report you to the manager." And I was like, "No, no, 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 no! Please don't do that." And then like I got reported anyways, and I was like really awkward trying to explain to my manager what like your mom jokes were. So, <laughs> oh wait, <laughs> wait, but wasn't this kid making your mom jokes the whole time? Yeah, and and then he told me, and, and then I said something like with the phrase "your mom" in it, and then he was just like, "I'm gonna report you for that." What's your manager mad? <laughs> My manager's like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. at least your manager has a sense of like, at least understands. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a uh-huh. sense of humor, but at least like, kind of chill. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's uh-huh. funny. They weren't like angry at you for, uh-huh. for saying that. Well, um, I'm glad uh, <laughs> nothing bad happened there. Um, but just avoid that kid, I guess. That kid is clearly spoiled. <laughs> Definitely a menace. <laughs> yeah, bro's a menace. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, that's really funny. Um, but this uh, chapter is really exciting too. So um, why don't you take it away with the epigraph, Nolan? Okay, so today's epigraph reads, And Muad'Dib stood before them, and he said, Though we deemed a captive dead, yet does she live. For her seed is my seed, and her voice is my voice. And she sees unto the furthest reaches of possibility. Yeah, unto the veil of the unknowable does she see because of me from Arrakis Awakening by, by, by the Princess Era Land. So initially, I'm going to be honest, when I first read the epigraph, I was like, this is super confusing, you know, because I just didn't understand what was going on, what the captive was, who she was, what the word veil meant. But definitely after finishing up this chapter, the context was laid to really allow critical analysis of the epigraph. So first, let's really answer the burning question of who exactly is, you know, who exactly is the female captive? And turns out it's Paul's sister, St. Elia of the Knife, who is now in the hands of the Emperor after the surprise Imperial raid on Siege Tabor at the end of the last chapter. But the thing is, like, Paul doesn't actually remember, like, he doesn't know the state of Aaliyah, speaks as he is, as she is dead. But because of her relation to the Quisatz Hadrock, she's also somehow able to transcend her human barriers and now can see the unknowable space and time that previous Bene Gesserits were never able to witness. I'm not quite sure but it's a little confusing but it's kind of doable after you finish reading the chapter mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah really interesting epigraph this one's just kind of still just foreshadows what's to come in this in this chapter so mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. all right thank you for that um before we dive into the rest of the chapter as usual we have our quote section and it's been a while since we've actually explained what our quote section is i just realized um so i'll do that again oh. for those of you the new listeners so our quote section essentially is a way for us to 
um, present uh, our favorite quotes from each chapter. Sometimes they're funny, sometimes they're witty, sometimes they're just really deep and thoughtful, and um, we just want to, you know, analyze those. But before we analyze those in the bulk of the chapter, uh, we will just read them at the very beginning so that y'all can have an idea um, of these memorable mm -hmm. quotes. Um, and yeah, so we usually go in the order, Fillmore, me, Nolan. So Fillmore, why don't you uh, have the first quote? Okay, so my quote this week is, so here he is. He doesn't appear much, does he? One frightened old fat man. And that's an example of one of the humorous <laughs> quotes. And uh, you can just hear the sarcasm dripping here. Yep. Yeah, so my quote goes, his people scream his name as they leap into battle. The women throw their babies at us and hurl themselves under our knives to open a wedge for their men to attack us. They have no, no decency. Wow. They even throw their babies. That's I know. Crazy. Yeah. They're just human projectiles, man. <laughs> so my quote of the week goes, fear sat like a stone in his stomach until he could hardly bear the thought of eating. Yet the feeling was like hunger, and he poised himself several times in his suspenders on the point of ordering food brought to him. But there was no one here to obey his summons. Ooh. Wow. Wow. Okay, this is a deep one. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, really interesting. Um, Really interesting alignment of quotes, but uh, let's dive right into the bulk of the chapter. So, Fillmore, why don't you take it away? Okay, so it's been a while, but we start from the point of view of the old monster, or also known as the Baron. And he's in the Emperor's audience chamber, which is known as the Oval Selamlik. Or Salamlik, sorry. So Salamlik yeah. is a new word that I had to look up. And it means the portion of an Ottoman palace or house reserved for only men. And the opposite of this is called a Seraglio, which is only for women. Mm -hmm. that's really interesting it brings in something from ottoman culture so we've had a lot of different culture blends now in this book so we've had islamic you know i'm i find it hard to come up i mean like catholic and and there's a lot of other ones that you know i'm just can't Those come up with right Pers now. persian yeah. i think yeah but and um persian persian's not really a religion though yeah it, i guess it's just uh, like it's, a culture. it's just it's different culture. cultures yeah. yeah and um but I mean, I'm wondering if the Imperium is kind of similar to the Ottoman Empire because, I mean, the Ottoman Empire was definitely you know, world dominant for a while. I wonder if it's just some weird analogy that um, Herbert's trying to draw here that, you know, the Ottoman Empire, the Imperium doesn't have a lot longer to stand or something like that. No, I definitely agree. I, it's definitely a parallel between the Ottomans because, well, the Sardaukar, for example, is a di direct parallel against the Janissaries of the Ottoman Empire. Yeah. I was also wondering that like probably the Ottomans also did heavy trading in spice while they were still in power. Like that's what they were known for like a couple hundreds of years ago as like the spice traders of the of the Mediterranean, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I mean spice, you know, that's the whole universe. Mm -hmm. Anyways, so let's get back to the chapter. And I have a bad feeling that the baron's not here well at the Salam Lake to be praised by the emperor and he said he's going to get flamed by him mm, yeah uh -huh. so mm -hmm. but the thing is like regardless of what the baron is at the salam lick for we have to like for just for a second really just enjoy the emperor's quarters opulence and terrifying ward trophies adorning his walls you know so like the entire emperor's retinue really came with him to arrakis you know his nokers the pages and the guards 
And I didn't really know what Nokers meant, so I searched it up. And according to the Doom Wiki, it is kind of weird, and I don't want to surprise anyone, but it's like Imperial bodyguards related to the Emperor by blood. I was like, what? Whoa. <laughs> what? So it's basically like, Sardaukar. They're just Sardaukar, but buffed, you know, like. The family? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Whoa. That's really interesting. My uh, distant cousin, I guess. Yeah, it's just, you know, my long lost cousin just died for me in front of my gates, you know. Uh -huh. it's yeah, just, my I never twice removed. I used him as a shield to escape. <laughs> yeah, I never knew this guy. <laughs> I never knew this guy other than for his body armor. Yeah. yeah so how 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 cold blood is just be weird. Yeah, it's just like I know you're gonna die for me, and you're gonna die for me, and you're gonna die for me, but let's all have a drink, shall we? You know. Uh-huh. Another thing that's kind of weird is that the emperor is called by the retinue as the royal person. And the title to me is quite strange because it feels quite distant. Like it evokes a sense of distance because like you're referring to them in like a third person, almost like the royal person, like as not them, but as, as like an object almost. But now like maybe that's kind of like the title's point, right? To remind others of their almost inferior inferiority so they can't even call upon the emperor directly as like the padishah emperor or as like emperor or whatever other title right to refer to him as the royal person and it's really only reinforced by the fact that when the emperor enters into the room he kind of ignores every single person in the room even like the baron even though the baron is called to you know see the emperor and it's just like, of course, like the Baron's also a super important aristocrat of the great houses. But yeah, the Emperor still has so much confidence in himself that he's just like, nothing can rush me. I'm the royal person. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I just want to read this description of the Emperor here. It goes, a slim, elegant figure in a gray Sardaukar uniform with silver and gold trim. His thin face and cold eyes reminded the Baron of the Duke Leto long dead. There was that same look of the predatory bird, but the emperor's hair was red, not black, and most of that hair was concealed by a bursex even helmet with the imperial crest in gold upon its crown. So this, I think, just uh, draws a parallel to Leto, right? I mean, we know that these guys, oh. Shaddam and Leto, we know that they're cousins, um, but the contrast can be more defined because Leto is a righteous, good character. I, I hesitate to call him warm, but at least he's righteous. Um, but the emperor is kind of thin, cold, predatory, you know? Um, so there's just, I think there's a contrast here. I mean, even though these guys are cousins, it's just couldn't be more apparent. Yeah, the word, maybe it's the way they were brought up or just how they developed their own personalities. Yeah. You know, it's just this, right. I guess, two sides of a diff of the same coin, I should say. Mm -hmm. Although just one side circumstances, is- circumstances, yeah. Right. But we don't really know how the emperor came to be this way. Hopefully, we'll get an answer to this eventually, maybe in a, the next uh -huh. book of Dune. But right now, we just know that Leto is like the warm person, and this emperor is this cold, iron fisted dictator. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, this guy is just, you know, really, really crazy. Um, almost, you can just kind of feel it, like, it, mm -hmm. other than kind of, you know, direct foil to Lido, almost, even though we don't know Shaddam that well, um, you can just kind of just based off this description, you know, you can feel it. Yeah, you can just assume how he's like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And wow, is this a reunion of old friends? Because, well, we get to see Reverend Mother Gaius Helen Mohiam again. And, um... Mm -hmm. And we finally get, but 
there's like a one exception because we finally get to see the girl we've been seeing in the epigraph this whole time princess irland so she's described as a tall blonde face of chiseled beauty with green eyes and if paul ever gets to her it looks like chani's gonna have some competition for real you know <laughs> yeah we don't know how loyal paul is um but i mean what's up hey, with the Bene, what's up with these bene Gesserit and being described as pretty you know i'm it's not the first kind of of course kind of um pretty bene Gesserit we've run into right at least according in to the eyes of the character because wasn't lady fenring also really attractive to fade rautha yep. yeah i mean so and if i remember they have similar builds too so i mean it seems like the benefits are selected for not just talent but also looks i mean true politician style you know gotta gotta <laughs> yeah. have all of that right i mean because they are a political organization um but then again why are all the reverend mothers you know so much like old hags if if all the, <laughs> you know like ramalo and gay salem ohayim i guess jessica's kind of in between that but maybe when jessica grows old she'll become like modeled with like wrinkly skin and you know beady eyes right she's gonna look like the witch from jack and jill <laughs> yeah, literally ben Jester, like fine wine. i guess that's why they it's call them be, ben Jester mean, witches it's yeah. like spoiled wine <laughs> yeah no filter all, I mean, all I'm saying is that, like, you know, a life of beauty does come with a price, you know, and a lot of the time, if you don't take care of your face well enough, especially with the products they use, it turns out bad, you know? So, yeah. I mean, not unless that, you have aging genetics. Yeah, um, yeah. And, yeah. Not a lot of people are blessed with that. Yeah, it doesn't, don't, yeah. don't really age until like you're 80. Uh-huh, and then you age really. And then you just instantly age like a hundred years. <laughs> oh, man, the years have really it caught up to me. Down from there. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> but aside from looks, um, we it also seems that like Princess Irland, under the tutelage of the truth sayer herself, you know, Gaius Helen Mohiam, is she's also being trained in the most secretist of Benegestrate ways. And I'm almost wondering, like, if that means that Princess Irland, especially since she is also just like the Emperor's daughter, will one day maybe be the successor to Muller, Gaius Halemokiam. I don't know. Because, like, whatever their initial plan was for Princess Irland, I mean, Jessica and Aaliyah sure are also referent Muller. So, whatever is going on, and whenever they discover that, they're sure going to throw a big wrench into the Bene Gesserit's carefully laid foundations for the future of the Bene Gesserit society. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. But that makes me wonder. There are there multiple. Well, there are multiple reverend mothers, but are there supposed to be multiple reverend mothers? Like, because that's what only, I'm saying. The I, only other reverend to. mother that we know apart from uh, Mohiam was Ramalo. Yeah, and I'm, we're not sure if Mohiam was aware of Ramalo. I That's mean, I thing. feel that to be a reverend mother, they're all aware of each other, right? Because right now, um, I, don't, I don't remember if it was in this half. Maybe it was in the next half. Then sorry for spoilers. But uh, Mohayim was aware of uh, Aaliyah because, like, Aaliyah was trying to get in her head, and Mohayim was like, "Oh, you know, I can see, I can see you're inside my mind. Get out of my head, right?" Um, so you're right. So maybe I think they're maybe aware they are after she came into contact with Aaliyah, though. Um. It might have been, it might have like solidified in her head, but I feel like they would have some some knowledge, right? Yeah, know. They probably we, know because they inherit all the Reverend Mothers. That means they probably inherit the Fremen's Reverend Mothers too, no? Yeah, like they would know that probably there's other Reverend Mothers out there, right? 
yeah except they're just not very common yeah i feel i mean i think i put this theory out before that the these bene gesserits are kind of split into sex that have kind of you know speciated and grown apart from each other um oh, so right. so somehow yeah, each of be. these sex has their own reverend mother you know mm-hmm. yeah so uh-huh. i'm not sure though it's just an opinion <laughs> yeah okay so well it looks like the baron sent hawa to investigate who the muadib is and he hasn't returned in five days so now the baron is convinced that he's going to die soon well because of the poison but i'm pretty sure this won't happen well at least not until he sees paul again and at that point, Paul would probably just use his powers to remove the poison. Which, I mean, that seems very plausible. Don't you guys agree? Yeah. Seems, yeah. It seems especially like since it. Paul... Yeah, like, especially since if Jessica can do it, Paul definitely can do it, too. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And he's basically, like, cleaned up the, you know, the Reverend Mother's the Water of Life, which is one of the most deadly poison in the known universe. So he could definitely cure her I feel. Mm-hmm. But I also agree, like, the Baron should just definitely be a lot more worried right now than he currently is. I know he says he's worried, but he should be, like, urgently tracking Hawat down every second. Because if he doesn't, like, even if Hawat didn't have much time left, five days missing is a long time, enough to pass on vital game-changing knowledge that may allow Paul to win the upcoming encounter, right? So... Whatever plan the Baron had for Dufir Hawat, though, it's not like it was going to work out anyways, because... Hawat was supposed to infiltrate like a Fremen camp and he was supposed to go high up in the ladder enough to know about what's going on. And the thing is, there's no way he could have done that without having come across the Muad'Dib. And then since the Muad'Dib is Paul, like Paul Atreides, there's no way that Paul would have like, you know, let let Dufir Hawat go without like talking to him or like just like stopping him or something. So you're right. Like either way, this entire plan of the Barons would never work. Like there was no way ever that like baron was going to succeed and hawa was always going to escape or live or whatever either way in any world scenario mm-hmm. yeah i mean plus like if if jessica can control hawa you know like paul can too i mean i don't know it would be really suspicious for hawa to like show up and try to friend paul i don't know like yeah i feel like it's just like don't know if it's like public news or or uh like the baron just has new mentat suddenly but something that doesn't really make sense to me is because is that like hawat i mean he disappeared for five days but why doesn't the baron have a tracker on him like i mean sure he has the poison (laughs) he's got an air tag right like why wouldn't he (laughs) he didn't put any sort of like tracking mechanism on him even though he's such an important asset just this guy is not very smart at what he does <laughs> yeah it's just bro forgot to buy an air tag from eight thousand years ago Facts. i mean yeah, i'm sure they have treated... something like that as well yeah yeah he treated hawa like a pigeon like a pigeon comes home every night for the for the dinner it was really yeah. weird mm-hmm. but like once the once the pigeon gets lost then uh you know they're never coming it's back never coming dinner. back yeah yeah could die out in the <laughs> wild could find a new owner mm-hmm and just like I predicted a couple episodes ago, it looks like the Emperor knows even less about the Fremen than even the Baron. Uh, well, seeing as he doesn't have the slightest clue as to who the Muad'Dib could be. The dramatic irony is literally killing me. I mean, yeah, but it's also because they're like... The, I mean, look at the house who's ruled Arrakis for the majority of the past decades, right? It's the Harkonnens. They haven't really been exactly on friendly terms with the Imperium. 
because like all the Imperium and the Great Houses have all known how kind of sleazy the Baron is for years, and with the guild being bought off by the by by the Fremen, the Emperor really has no way of knowing what's going on on Arrakis, other than like the few encounters his Sardaukar have in the past couple of years of invading Arrakis. Additionally, we also see that like the Emperor is obviously upset and hasty and impatient because, you know, like Arrakis has taken up so much of his time, his money, his resources, and manpower as well. Like he's just like upset that he keeps failing and failing. So right now, like even though it's probably a bad decision, he, he probably knows it deep inside. He's just trying to rush it and trying to like subjugate Arrakis under his thumb as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the Emperor just needs to be taught a lesson of humility because there's other powers in this world that are stronger than he is. And uh, he yeah. just needs to understand that, right? He just seems, you know, too too kind of absorbed in his power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and something else that's also crazy that the Emperor brings up, or I don't, well, maybe it was the Baron, but the Fremen don't even care about their hostages. Um, yeah, this was the Baron that brought it up. But they just the Fremen just treat their hostages as dead. So it's just like, oh, this guy left my line of sight. Now he's just dead. And it's just he's like done. that cost-benefit thing that we were talking about before um the fremen are truly fanatics now um so let me just read this blood chilling section which is also my quote for the week quote his people scream his name as they leap into battle the women throw their babies at us and hurl themselves under our knives to open a wedge for their men to attack us they have no no decency so he kind of just forces that last word out, at least from what I read it. And um, I just find it hilarious that the the Baron thinks decency is the best word here. Like, really? Can you not come up with anything better than decency? You know, that just seems so... Like, yeah. heck, they're in a war against a population that will do whatever it takes to win. And the Baron just makes it seem like, you know, some something in court or or um some dinner party <laughs> with rude guests um just right. no, Why no are you using a sort yeah. of euphemism for it kind of yeah i don't know he could just he could have just said they're savages or something that would have made or, yeah, more they sense have no yeah. civility or they have no yeah. i mean n- no morals it would have been even <laughs> yeah. better yeah or heartless but right he was I mean, just keeping himself in check yeah for <laughs> the emperor <laughs> uh, he, i mean he doesn't really keep himself in check later when he says he wants to wipe them all out but uh, I so mean, true. I mean, the scariest people are the people with nothing, and the Baron just can't realize that the Fremen are strong. Uh-huh. I also think this is like one of the first times ever in this entire book that we see the Baron like lowering his gaze, like frightened, because like we've never seen him in a state before. We've always seen him with like Pitter or like always on his suspender, like beating up you know the little people of his kingdom and like always like exploiting people, right? But we've never seen him like underneath someone like beneath someone else's authority and open weakness so like right now we really get some insight into his precarious political situation with the emperor and we see that the emperor is raging mad at the baron for losing control of arrakis and the spice production is essential to the universe and the thing is like all that the baron can rely on right now to protect him from the emperor's wrath is the fact that the lands rad and like like the great houses and a convention protects any great house from being harmed by the imperial power right mm-hmm. and the thing is like it's not even like a solid base because the all the landra houses don't like the baron none of them think that he's a great guy and they all know that he's a cheater that he's disgusting that he's like you know he does all this bad stuff behind their backs and mm-hmm. just it's got a really flimsy shield going on right now yeah quite literally because the shield's about it we wiped out but i mean the baron is really <laughs> playing uh 
he's really playing like a 1v100 here you know he's just him versus the universe there's really nobody on his side because he doesn't want anybody to be on his side never put in that effort and that's what happens when you're so unlikable bloodthirsty and mercenary all you go for is spice and you lose all your allies so i mean the baron needs to learn a lesson here learn a lesson you know because this is just I mean, just, uh -huh. this is just something he, he just never tried to go for. So there's nobody here to support him at the time when he needs it. Um, mm -hmm. The karma's finally catching up to him. For real, yeah. Yeah, he, he was running away for too long. But the truth is, like, the Baron's just, it's too late now. It's like, even if he tries to change, he doesn't uh -huh. have much time. And he knows that. And that's why, at least into my quote of the week, which is, fear sat like a stone in his stomach until he could hardly bear the thought of eating. Yet the feeling was like hunger, and he poised himself several times in suspenders on the point of ordering food brought to him. But there was no one here to obey his summons. So I really chose this quote because it wasn't because, like, usually for me it contains a profound message, but not this time. But I chose this one because it perfectly really encapsulates the fact that, like, there's crippling fear sometimes. And, like, our mind is crowded by doubt, and I feel like this quote that i chose is really well like reflected that and i have like similar moments too in my life where it's just like sometimes there's these moments that feel super heavy in my stomach and there's like this ultra sensitivity in our awareness of our surroundings and there's always this desire to regain control to wrestle control back using our own power but the thing is like if we're in the situation that we're in we're probably not in control that's what the emperor knows as well. i mean that's what the that's what the baron knows as well he knows he's open he's vulnerable he's without his guard in emperor's chamber now he's a subordinate and he's just you know second class basically <laughs> yeah and i like i really don't know like how the best way to deal with such crippling fear is like i for me i try to take a step by step and like slowly if i have to and it's a little contradictory but i kind of try to speed through it at the same time you know like uh -huh. just, like, get through the experience I get as, as possible so i could yeah fight once again on my own battlefield where i'm mm -hmm. strong at but you know the baron really doesn't have any single control so even if he wants to leave fast he can't leave fast out of disrespect for the emperor and the uh -huh. emperor like he just has to let the emperor you know like rant about his anger because like he's right. the emperor he's just like he's not the emperor yeah yeah i mean just i really loved what you said about you know going slow and going fast at the same time because it it's not honestly they go hand in hand because a lot of times when you go slow and focus on things not the present and really throw yourself into what you're doing right now it just actually speeds things up like time flies you know like when you're you know yep. when you're like waiting for something greater or you're trying to speed through something and the fact that it's just like concentrating on that and committing to it you know really just makes it go faster so just something i wanted to add nothing too relevant to the the book um per se but just some some thoughts i had about that. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah and i know you said it didn't really contain a profound message but you definitely made a profound message out of it <laughs> yeah definitely thank you thank you mm -hmm. and i know i said earlier that this is a reunion of old friends, but I think it might actually be a family reunion instead because, well, the Baron hey, sees yo. his granddaughter, Aaliyah, and he doesn't even know they're related. So the amount of dramatic Bro, irony in this chapter uncle. is just, right, yeah. it's just getting out of hand <laughs> at this point. Well, anyway, <laughs> so this is actually my favorite part of this chapter is when Aaliyah just straight up roasts the Baron out of nowhere. And it also happens to be my quote for this week. So she says, so here he is. He doesn't appear much, does he? One frightened, old, fat man. 
too weak to support his own flesh without the help of suspensers. So dang, <laughs> Aaliyah really has no filter here, and I'm sure Lido would be proud. Oh yeah, you know Grandpappy Lido, you know he's just uh, he's smiling in his grave, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you tell him, you tell him, you know, you tell, you just, tell my, you tell my, well, not exactly lost Grandpappy, he's just Poppy, I guess. Yeah, true. That's <laughs> so strange, like. I don't know, like family issues sometimes carry over into the real world, and this is one of those pure examples of like family drama maximized to the like to a universal scale. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. One thing that I'm also just like really surprised about is just how the tables are slowly turning, right? Like the tables are slowly turning, firstly against the Baron himself, but also just like turning for the Emperor to his advantage. And just the fact is like Initially, we did say that Emperor probably doesn't know much about Arrakis. And, you know, Fillmore's right. Like, Emperor's not an expert on Arrakis. But at the same time, he's not supposed to be smart on Arrakis. And he got to power some other way. And right now is one of those moments where he's beginning to show some of the prowess that really netted him his indomitable reputation as the Emperor. So even though we know that the Emperor only happened to come across this information because of Paul's tactical release of the Sardaukar, Emperor wields this blade most effectively against the Harkonnens, especially like completely bringing the Baron to a bumbling mess on the ground that he is right now. Because it's just, like, who knew that the Emperor thought of the Muad'Dib beforehand? You know, like I'm sure that like the Emperor also thought of something similar to the Baron. So you know, like the Baron was just like he's probably some wandering Uma, like like some religious figure out in the desert, kind of like John the Baptist or something. And like it seems a little far fetched at first. But then I was thinking about it, and maybe not quite so far-fetched because I was thinking about Liat Kynes and the parallels of like what if those Liat Kynes instead of Paul? I'm sure that Liat Kynes would have done just as like good of a job, maybe not not as like planet takeover, but definitely he would have held a successful resistance against the Harkonnens and the Imperium. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, she'll probably get plenty of pages in the future. She's just kind of too cool for school, you know. She's walking in, and okay, yeah. Cool girls don't look at explosions. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, because she's just talking straight back to the Baron and Emperor when she easily could be killed. She just gets snuffed out, right? And and I mean, she's making this great Reverend Mother Mohayim afraid. I mean, she's got some pizzazz and flair, really. For she's got a way with words, uh-huh. you know, uh, quite literally I'm with really the voice. Yeah, she but there should totally be a spinoff series on Saint Aaliyah. Yeah, there might actually be. I know there's so many books in Dune Universe. I don't know if Herber ever wrote anything, but you know, oh, we can mm-hmm. dig into that after this book ends, which yeah. is almost almost there. Yeah, I think this is the moment where she gets her title, Saint Alia of the Ninth, or Alia of the Ninth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is really sad, because I know that Paul said in the last chapter that he felt with certainty that his son was dead, but now we get an actual confirmation of it from Alia, which sort of fizzles out any hope I had of Leto the second still being alive. So I yeah, guess this too. book just really hates the name Leto. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, I mean, you, this, these Lido's just can't catch a break for real. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Herbert has a thing against Lido in real life. Just kidding. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> it's arch nemesis Lido. Uh, but the thing is, like, there's one good thing that kind of came out of the raid, and that was just the fact that there was so much destruction and fear instilled within the Imperium by the Fremen women, children, and elders, and. 
I just can't even like begin to imagine how five troop carriers worth of elite Sonicar units almost got wiped out by, in other words, from a militia. You know, it's basically, like, basically like these aren't even like their main fighters. These are just like their citizens. They're very, like it's like untrained militia, like supposed to like defend at home, and they're just like wiping out this entire force. And it's even funnier to imagine Aliyah leading one of these groups, these attacking groups, into battle against Sardaukar and the Emperor, you know? And, like, as a matter of fact, Aliyah was just like, if it hadn't been for the fire, we could have dusted you completely. And she was right. And they, she knew it, and she owned up to it. And that was just wonderful to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know what this reminds me of? The American Revolution. I don't know why, right. but it's so like true. ragged bands of troops destroying a well-organized British army. You know, I mean, there of course there's differences, not a perfect analogy. The difference is that the American troops were equal in skill to the British troops, but or maybe not equal, but you know, they were kind of fighting on equal footing because the British had advantages, the Americans had advantages. But the Fremen far surpassed the Sarkar in skill by far you know probably five to one right so i mean the baron just can't comprehend that yet you know it's just too much for him to understand that these sardaukar how can they be so powerful yeah they got destroyed by the fremen equivalent of Minutemen, though <laughs> yeah it's just, i mean they're I literally children yeah just, just these ragged yeah. bands of militia it's, just, it's like literally time for pitchforks it's like if i went to war, it's like if, if i went out to war and i got destroyed by some five-year-old kid and he just starts fortnite dancing on me it's just like what would you even do that it reminds what me what would that. you even do it reminds me of that just like walk home yeah it reminds me of that comedy bit where the the comedian was like oh you know i don't know why our presidents think it's such a great idea to start a war with north korea because they clearly don't play call of duty at 5 a.m like i do <laughs> it's just it's just these these guys took out my whole army you know because yeah so kind of kind of reminds me of stuff like that because these these fremen are are just really different yeah so i mean that also means that the emperor is starting to get an idea of how strong the fremen are well considering his sardaukar had to run from women children and old men so yeah barely got out alive too right so i wonder how this is going to change his future strategies because Maybe he'll become more cautious of them, and but I hope it's not enough so Paul can land a decisive blow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think, but I think it's like one part that we see this already is the fact that maybe it's one of the main reasons why the emperor is bringing all his stuff onto Arrakis. He's bringing this massive tent set up with all his permanent lodging and all his troops and even just like personal retinue of, you know, the Nokers, the pages, and the guards because the emperor realizes that. He might be on Arrakis for a long, long time, you know, like this Baron messed up really, really badly. And if he wants to continue making that money for the Chom company and continue making his stocks, he's going to have to be here for many, many years mopping up the Baron's mess. But like Paul said, like the Fremen aren't going to wait around for all this time for the Imperium to prepare to stock up on troops, to fortify their defenses. The Fremen are the ones who choose the moment to strike, not the Imperium in this case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just love what the Emperor says here. Kind of just puts it all into perspective. He says, got away. You hear that? You know, he's emphasizing the words got away <laughs> because he's, it's just a ridiculous notion 
that these um that these started car barely just had to run they had to run with their tail between their legs in order to get anybody out of there and i mean it's especially in the baron's mind it's probably even more crazy because the emperor witnessed it but the baron hasn't it's just brand new news to him and like you know these desert dweller hold people in the ground right i mean who can barely live in the desert suddenly they just rise up in full force and it's just a mighty shock and women and children destroying desperate Sardaukar. I mean, if you were the Baron, you'd be shocked too. And I understand the Baron's mindset here of immediately wanting to retaliate and squash their belly and get their, get his revenge and, you know, prove that he's the strongest. And also he's under pressure here from the emperor. So he wants to impress the emperor. So I get that. But again, as is, you know, commonplace with the Baron, uh, it's not thought through at all. Um, he didn't think about it at all. I mean, the emperor has already thought it through and puts the bear into silence, which is how this chapter ends, or mm -hmm. how the half mm -hmm. this half of the chapter ends. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the barons. Maybe he was just assuming, oh, we can just send all twenty-five, or sorry, all five legions, which is equal to twenty-five thousand Sardaukar, just out there to take out the fremen. But what they don't even know is that there's millions of fremen out there. And yeah. so they're just gonna get completely destroyed no <laughs> it's just matter a whole what. No, literally five thousand Fremen could take out twenty five thousand Sardi Car, maybe even less right. than five thousand yeah. Fremen. Yeah. So I mean if the Fremen have better teamwork than the Sardi Car as by well, far. probably. And they yeah, so it's like, gonna be like an exponential effect. So if there's like a mm. hundred Fremen, maybe they can take out even like a thousand Sardicar. True. You know? Yeah, I mean they just they they really fight. They they know how to fight, that's for sure. Right. Um so yeah, I mean I mean, they they just have no idea what's in stock for them, the Emperor and the Baron. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even if the Emperor like called down all the other great houses and a whole entire lands rad and everything from space, right? Like, even then they would need to outnumber the Fremen five to one just to win, even have like a chance of winning. The only way to truly win on Arrakis is for them to stand from afar and just bombard the planet to bits and pieces. But they would never risk such a thing because of the fact that they know they can't blow up the planet. They know that they can't threaten ultimate destruction from the air because of the fact that they need a spice to mm -hmm. keep the planet in the first place. Otherwise, they would just leave it alone. Yeah. So it's just like kind of, they're kind of like an impasse or something because like yeah. the next move that whoever's uh, like, yeah, but like whatever move that they're going to make, it's going to be the bloodiest move of their lives. Like it's going to cost them every single inch of ground is going to cost them blood right they know that right yeah. yeah so it's just you know it's going to be a crazy decision here and honestly paul just has all the chips and he has the omega you know trump card here which is just you know i i have uh oh I, I have yeah. the power to destroy the spice and that's you know something that'll <laughs> that'll always be in the back of the emperor and the baron's mind because they all rely on that and the guild <laughs> too especially <laughs> the guild just ditches them <laughs> yeah the guild just ditches him all right um but yeah i mean i think that's about it though for this chapter so on that note i believe that concludes the discussion for this episode of the do not enter podcast make sure to read to the end of chapter 47 and dune in next time when we discuss it as always thanks to all of you listeners for being patient with us and being interested in our thoughts Follow us on Instagram at do not enter, Reddit you such do not enter, Twitter at do not enter, and email us at do not enter at gmail.com. That's D U N E N O T E N T E R at gmail.com. Please contact us with questions, feedback, or I dare say, uh... oh, I, I can just say it today. Okay. Corrections, because I'm pretty sure I messed up some of my pronunciation. Okay, okay, fair, fair. Yeah, there were some hard That's words. True. Yeah, so, mm -hmm. yeah, so Fillmore took the fall there. 
Um, yep. Give us a review on iTunes or Spotify. It only takes a few seconds of your time. So um, you just have to go and make an account and then go to our show and then click the five star button because that's the only one that exists and leave a nice comment or two if you are so inclined. Um, it, the don't reasons forget to for follow that, too. Oh yeah, don't forget to follow if you're on Spotify. And uh, the reasons for this are twofold. Uh, one, it lets us know that we're doing a good job and motivates us to keep creating content. And two, it helps move our podcast up the chart so we can get this show and Dune out to a wider variety of listeners. So that would be very, very much appreciated. And thank you for your time. Um, otherwise, have a great week and we will see you all back very soon. See you guys. Bye guys. <laughs>